You're listening to Wealth Tech on Deck, a podcast about the future of wealth management technology, brought to you by Life Yield. Here's your host, Jack Sherry. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us and welcome to Wealth Tech on Deck. So glad you've decided to spend some time with us as we talk about the future of financial advice. As our listeners know, I have the privilege of speaking with industry leaders each week about issues that challenge and move our industry forward. We talk about the confluence of human and digital advice, wherever it might take place. That's wealth and asset management, retirement, insurance and annuities, technology. And our guests are uh, working on these strategies to help advisors, investors, participants, and firms enjoy better financial outcomes. Today, we are speaking with Randy Bullard. Randy is someone I've known for a long time. I'm sure that'll come up now and again in our conversation. Randy is the Global Head of Wealth Management at Charles River Development. Randy, welcome to Wealth Tech on Deck. Thank you very much, Jack. I'm super excited to be joining you. Great. Terrific. So, Randy, uh, let's start with uh, you telling our audience about Charles River and about your role there. I'm Charles River is a big name in our industry, but just to give those that may not be that familiar, tell us about the firm and tell us about what you do there. Sure. So Charles River Development is a wholly owned subsidiary of State Street Bank. State Street bought the firm back in 2018. For that, you know, the firm had a you know pretty long history, 30 plus year history. I'm not exactly sure how far it goes back, but you know, a really long history serving primarily the institutional asset management market with core portfolio management, trading, you know, OMS type uh, functionality and, and surrounding functionality. Uh, again, primarily in the institutional space. And then starting around the 2010 timeframe, they started to develop capabilities and enter the wealth management market, initially with uh, technology for the advisor discretionary or the rep is PM type operating model for uh, both broker dealers and, and private bank organizations. And then starting around the 2016 timeframe, the firm started to make some pretty substantial capital investments in a whole new set of technologies for wealth primarily aimed at the separately managed account, unified managed account infrastructure for uh, the industry, as well as some capabilities primarily for ex-U.S. markets. You know, I came into the firm uh, about a year and a half, two years after the acquisition by State Street Bank. The wealth business was pretty well established at that point, but it wasn't organized as an industry vertical. It was uh, a smattering of customers spread across the broader Charles River business. And so when State Street purchased Charles River for two and a half billion cash back in the 2018 timeframe, they really had an objective of growing specifically the wealth business. And, and they thought one of the things they needed to do you know, to facilitate that was to organize it as an industry vertical business with a dedicated team and to hire a leader that could kind of lead the charge into that segment. And so I was effectively hired to kind of create the organization and the strategy that we're executing on right now. So you and I have known each other, at least I think probably the first time we met was a, a decade or two, dare I say three, probably only two decades ago when you were at Placemark. You were one of the founders there. You've been around the asset and wealth management and fintech industries for a while. Why don't you fill our audience in on your background? How did you get started? How did you wind up sitting in the chair you're sitting in today? Yeah. Well, I have an undergrad in computer science and my early four or five years of career work were really deep technical software development hardware level device drivers and things, very technical engineering work. But I kind of moved into project management and ended up in management consulting, ended up at AT Carney, one of the you know kind of higher end management consultancies. And I was a principal kind of driving the development of their IT go-to-market strategy. And from there, 
it was an interesting set of circumstances, but I was kind of leading the practice that was interfacing with a lot of venture capitalists that were funding all kinds of early stage dot-com bubble, you know, 1.0 internet startups. And so I was kind of the interface of our firm to that market and got a lot of visibility into capital raising, a lot of different venture firms, and was working with a lot of CEOs of those firms, helping them execute on their kind of IT infrastructure strategy. And it led to me effectively making a decision to start a company. And so I started Placemark at my kitchen table, cut the first check, opened an account, and, you know, went to Home Depot and bought a chair. I was the first asset of Placemark. <laughs> That's great. And, uh, <laughs> and when was that? When, when, when did Place found it? I was in 99. Yeah, that was 99. back in 1999. Really kind of conceptualized it in 97 and 98 while I was at AT Kearney and and recruited some folks from Kearney to start it with me and got some capital from our partners at AT Kearney to to help uh, get the initial seed going. And then led the firm through a couple of rounds of funding and an acquisition with a company on the West Coast. And then, you know, Lee Tavian joined us after that. Yeah. Well, why don't you talk a little bit about, because PlaceMark was pretty important in my historical memory. It was a very innovative firm. It ultimately got bought by Investnet in 2014. So that right. was a long run. You know, it was about a 15-year run of really innovating in wealth management technology. And you guys were very sophisticated ahead of your time around tax. Yeah. And we didn't know it at the time. We came at it from ignorance. You know, we were just trying to solve problems. And, <laughs> right. That's always the best, and, right? Yeah. We didn't really understand the industry barriers that we were up against. We just kind of had an eye on the prize. And for us, the prize is actually extremely topical to right now. The prize that we were trying to solve for is how do you individually construct an investor's portfolio to improve their after-tax return? It was that simple. That's what we were trying to figure out. I mean, it's about what you keep, not what you make. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, go figure. Yeah. <laughs> and and so we and we looked at the separate account industry. And this is, you know, again, we're talking late 90s separate account industry. So model base didn't exist and UMAs didn't exist. These were discretionary managers trading into separate account platforms. Right. And we were trying to and you had parametric is one firm that was had very few assets at that time, but they were starting to try to tax manage individual portfolios. And we kind of came at it and said, well, that's interesting and good, but what if you want to tax manage the whole portfolio? And what if you didn't just want it to be parametrics strategy, you wanted to be any manager strategy. You just wanted to change how it's traded to improve the after-tax return. And to just solve that problem, we had to tear down and rebuild the business model. We had to say, well, managers can't trade anymore because the second they commit a trade, that's a taxable event. So we have to intervene. We have to interpose ourselves between the manager and the customer. So, well, how do you do that? Well, I guess they'll have to send us a model. And I guess we'll have to take all those models and put them together and do this thing that came to be called overlay management. And we'll have to put it through an engine that will think about the customer and their tax impact. That's called tax optimization now. And so we kind of had to just do all of these things because nobody was doing them. And so we just created model-based interactions and UMA sleep sub-accounting and tax optimization. And we started selling it. And by the way, if I may interrupt, those were all first, right? You were the first to really do that. Yeah. There weren't names for these things. We just started doing them for different firms. And we ended up then signing up. First, it was McDonald Investments, the old broker-dealer arm of KeyBank. It was the yeah, first yeah, yeah. major sponsor that hired us to run a tax-optimized UMA program for them. We didn't call it that. We didn't know what to call it at the time. It was a tax thing of some kind, but it was a tax optimized UMA that had a roster of separate account managers and the individual financial advisor could construct a custom allocation and turn on tax overlay 
and customize it for ESG or risk, restrict industry sector gigs codes, all kinds of higher order portfolio customization. It was all foundational in the platform. And it was on the desktop of financial advisors at McDonald Investments in 2001. And it became the number one production there. All of a sudden, all the FAs at McDonald's started to, to use it. We did the same thing at Piper Jaffray, did the same thing at RBC Wealth Management. Then we had kind of the bloom came off the rose with the market events, the dot-com bubble, and got into a difficult market time frame. And then we really took off and we launched a huge program for Smith Barney and really just started knocking them down. We were really signing up and building in-house UMA programs as an outside overlay manager for a lot of you know, the firms uh, in the industry. We probably were running 30 or 40 different UMA programs, had really solid flows, and that's effectively when you know, InvestNet bought the firm. So it was a great ride. I had a ton of fun, invented a ton of really interesting stuff that in hindsight is very topical to what's going on in the market today. Well, it's remarkable. I mean, I lived through all that. I watched you guys, known you and the team at PlaySmart well, going back to those years. And everything you're saying is like current day conversation. So why don't we jump ahead to what you're doing now at Charles River? Because you guys did some pretty incredible stuff back then. And I got to believe you're doing more, if not even more going forward. So talk, talk a little bit about what you're excited about, what you're doing at Charles River, some of the things you're building there. You know, coming into Charles River, it was really interesting. A great foundational set of capabilities and technology. And the firm had started, like I said earlier, in about 2016, building an entire new technology stack for SMA UMA from scratch. And let's just start banging code from scratch on. And think about that time frame. So SMA UMA is not new. And all model-based interactions are not new. But most of the technology platforms that run most of the infrastructure in the industry around SMA and UMA are very old. Yep, yep. And so it was an opportunity to step in with well-established industry practice in partnership with two really of the largest wealth management organizations in the world, effectively saying, we will partner with you, Charles River, to purpose build a new technology stack that is a better way to implement SMA and UMA infrastructure at scale. And so that was the partnership that had been well in flight when I effectively stepped into the role. And so I was able to kind of catch a lot of that work in flight and bring it all into production. So in the last you know three years, all of those capabilities have now come to market. We built a, a new platform called the Wealth Hub, which is a different cloud-based infrastructure for interacting with both discretionary and model-based separate account managers. We've implemented a next generation sleep subaccounting infrastructure to support the portfolio management process. And probably the thing that's most exciting to me, and it won't surprise you given you know the history at Placemark, is a product we call Tailored Portfolio Solutions, which is our engine for doing higher order portfolio personalization via optimization. So it's tax optimization, it's ESG optimization, it's direct indexing, it's UMA kind of management across multiple accounts and registrations. It's really kind of the product that, that I dreamed of when I got here. You know, it was like, okay, if we can get the basics, if we can get the infrastructure solid, where we can run a million fee-based accounts and run them well and have them compliant and have them operated efficiently, can we put on top of that a next-generation engine that can act on all of the investable information that's now available about an investor and deliver a superior solution and allow wealth management platforms and organizations to really you know, kind of up their game and, and offer 
more advanced capabilities and features across the board to all of their customers. So that's a product that we're really leaning hard into. We've built it in partnership with the Contigo Axioma team. They've got a great underlying optimization engine that we've integrated. And we've got uh, multiple customers that have already signed up and we already launched the V1 of it earlier this year. So we're in production and, and, and kind of running real hard right now. So talk a little bit about that. You know, every time I pick up the industry rags, uh, or excuse me, publications, I'm reading about direct indexing and UMA is the beginning and end of it all. ESG, hyper-personalization. I don't know if you've heard that term. I hear that's making the rounds. So talk a little about that. What's your look at where we are now? And also curious, where do you see it all going in terms of it is becoming much more digitized, much more personalized, much more tax aware, much more values aware, call it. Talk about that if you would. To me, it can't be overhyped. It is truly transformational. We are, I think, at the very beginning of a secular one way and up and to the right you know, transition away from investment products to investment process. And products, investment products are getting abstracted down to data. A product is represented by its data, whether that's alpha, whether that's beta, whatever it is, the portfolio construction rules and inputs. But at the end of the day, it's process. How does that get implemented in the context of an individual customer? It has to be done at an individual customer level, which means it has to have all the information about the customer to make those decisions appropriately. And so in that kind of end state, that just changes so much of how the industry operates, the role of the financial advisor, the role of asset managers the role of technology. And so, you know, to me, direct indexing is, you know, one manifestation, hyper-personalization, increased focus on tax optimization, ESG application at an individual investor level. All of those are manifestations of this transition from product to process that I think we're, you know, we're undergoing in the industry right now. It's huge. It's exciting. I think it's been ongoing. You know, we've been in this for a long time. But it's really only been in the last two or three years that a lot of different technologies have started to come together that break through a lot of the barriers that, that make this hard to do. It's complicated to do this kind of stuff. And it's only really been with recent technology development that it can be done well and at scale. You and I haven't had this direct conversation, but some of our colleagues have talked about this. And I promoted the concept of UMH you know, a long time ago, Unified Managed Household. You were one of the early voices. Yeah. Actually, we had Len Reinhardt on this show, and Len wrote a white paper on this in 2001. Our take is that it's still a ways away you know, to get the full UMH. So we actually stopped talking about it because it was a little too far of a stretch. But certainly, everyone's – and we went with the term comprehensive advice platforms because that's what's been happening. And people have all sorts of different versions of what that might mean, but it's all fine. It's all moving in the direction of – a lot of what you're talking about and more, you haven't talked much, you mentioned it, but I'd love to hear more about your thought around multi-account, multi-product, multi-product type, annuities as an example, or alternatives, what have you. Where do you see that all going around the whole comprehensive advice platform where, where multiple capabilities are being looked at? Those are all, you know, kind of forms of what I was saying of the movement from investment product to investment process. The UMH, you know, UMA and other, you know, you probably remember as, as I do, kind of there were a whole bunch of three-letter acronyms, MSPs and MBAs and all, all kinds of, there was a lot of confusion as the industry was trying to figure out what do we call these things when we start to put different things that historically haven't gone together in one account into an account. Right. But it was still right. generally oriented around an account. 
And we all had this industry acknowledgement that, yeah, but nobody has one account. Everybody has multiple accounts and they have to for legal registration purposes. And so what is this construct? But the second we kind of started to talk about this construct, we put UMH as the moniker that kind of bridged, you know, these things because it can't go in one product and because it mixes apples and oranges and Volkswagens, they don't go together. (laughs) Then it really, you know, I think we kind of, by putting a label on and calling it a UMH, everybody looked around and said, do I have one or do I not? And the answer is not binary. UMH is a process. It's a way of collecting disconnected things and making decisions at a client level that span all the stuff that the client has. And so it's a process. It's not a product. And, you know, I think we're on the journey. We're further than we were, you know, in 2001 when Len and myself were talking about and you were talking about UMH. But we've still got a huge long ways to go. You know, what you and the, you know, kind of some of your retirement efforts, I know, you know, focused on annuities and stuff like that's a whole world that I'm not that familiar with. But I think there's a lot of value to add there. But just being able to knit together the decision making across a client's retirement assets, taxable assets, 401k assets, play money in their brokerage account, assets that they have sunk in their house and other fixed assets. Pulling that together and making better decisions across that pool of assets is an obvious win if we can just get the data and build the process to execute on it. And that's the journey that the industry's been on for, you know, 20 plus years. And and we're, I feel like, barely getting started on it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's exciting. I I share your excitement and enthusiasm. I'd love to have your comment on this. I think we probably are of of a similar mind. You mentioned you're working with Axioma. I'm I'm sure there's probably some others that you're working with. I know with us, we find ourselves working with planning tools and annuity companies and social security tools. And we work all sorts of different stuff. Some of it's our stuff, some of it's other people's stuff. And certainly with data aggregators and a variety of different planning tools and Proposal tools, all the different stuff of a UMH or a, again, we call it comprehensive advice platform, just so it doesn't sound so scary. In any event, uh, I'm curious about that. It seems, or your thoughts on this, our take is that we're going to be more collaborating. We don't compete so much. And I think there's a firm we share that Axioma is working with that uh, where we do certain things and you do certain things and together it's a better thing. So we'll talk about that if you would. We're, that whole collaboration and sure. competition, I guess you might call it. Yeah, I mean, listen, in this business environment and also technology environment, you know, with microservices and everybody's API connected and it is, uh, you know, collaboration is uh, required and also easier to do. And yep, um, yep. so we've got lots of partners. I mentioned Axioma, they're, they're a great partner, but we have tons of partners. We've got over 140 contracted named partners in the broader Charles River organization. A subset of those are specifically on, you know, on the well side of the platform. It's super important that, you know, that, that your open architecture, that you play well with the rest of the industry. Charles River primarily kind of sits, you know, most of our technology is aimed at either financial advisors for advisor discretionary, rep is PM work. We have a specific stack there or for the home office to run large volumes of fee-based accounts in different, gotcha. you know, product configurations. Gotcha. And so we don't have, we're not in the financial planning business. We don't do client suitability assessment. We don't produce proposals. We don't do CRM. We don't do all the things that most FAs spend most of their day doing. Right. Interface by definition with all of the upstream systems that our customers work with yep. to perform those functions. We rely on a lot of data that comes from those systems to 
manage the money and do the things, run the compliance processes and all the things that we do in our core operating platform. So it's, it's critical to everything, having good, good working partnerships. One of the distinctions I've made is I describe what we all, what your company does, our company does. We do slightly different things close, but not exactly the same. Probably some overlap along the way, I'm sure. And this came from one of our clients, uh, actually, actually Andy Saperstein was talking about how connected and integrated they are with all their partners. And we're one of those. And I made the comment back to one of the people that works for Andy that it's beyond just integrated and beyond connected, it's coordinated. We have a particular function. We, we are the tax folks. We're the income folks. That's what we do. But we have to coordinate with the data, with the planning, with the proposal, with the trading. With the, That's just how it works. we got to coordinate all that. We, It's more than integration because all that's integrated. But if you don't coordinate to create the alpha we seek to create around taxes, it has to be a coordinated effort where you need to know a lot about that down to the tax lot level, all the detail in terms of what the plan objective is, what the asset allocation, what Aladdin suggests, all the stuff that we have to consider. And talk about that because you get it. You, you understand this stuff. That whole issue of coordination is sort of a next level, something that I think a lot of people putting, we find, you may find the same, but a lot of people that are putting together platforms are recognizing it's more than integration. It's more than connecting. It's coordination. And that coordination is all around an overused term, you know, data centricity. It's all about the data. Yep. Everything's about the data. Who has the gold copy of what data? When is data maintained? How has it changed? Who has, you know, what's the audit trail on it? You have to ingest lots of data to do your function, whatever your function is. And a large portion or all of that data that you ingest comes from somewhere else. And so the sequencing and the coordination that you're talking about is a, you know, kind of a handing off of data, who touched the data, where did the data come from? It's everything now. Like every, every you know, kind of all the business processes revolve around, you know, the movement, touching management of data. One of the ways that, that we see it most is in kind of an, uh, a pretty old school term, if you will. It's the overnight batch process. Mm -hmm. you know, every night, the core Charles River platform is, is usually at the center of how the you know these really large financial institutions manage millions or hundreds of thousands of accounts and so every day there's an overnight process of pulling data from custody systems pulling data from pricing systems pulling data there's lots of data sources that all come into Charles River and they've all got to be sequenced through a large batch process that does this first then this second then this third and all of those are timed and sequenced with different data and so it's a huge portion of every one of our projects to work with our partners and potentially other vendors, not potentially always other vendors that are feeding that data from outside the organization to ensure that we can do all the things that need to be happen, you know, to, to support a good beginning of day, you know, as a SaaS operation, you know, we run it all. So, you know, our team is running. So I get all the SEV1 alerts. I get all, you know, I have, you know personal responsibility to a degree to oversee that all of these processes run for our customers. And when they don't run, when anything happens, when we have when something goes bump in the night and some data feed doesn't happen, I get that alert. It's really critical that all of that, you know, happen. And it's a big part of what we do to sure. make sure that that sequencing sure. and those handoffs happen well. So we've been largely talking about this, but is there anything we haven't talked about in terms of where you see the world going? This is all early days, I think, in terms of what you and I are describing. But where do you, do you see it going as just getting better and better, faster and faster, more and more refined? Where, where do you see it all going? I mean, you know, I think we've talked through, you know, I think all the trends around portfolio personalization are one way up and to the right. And we're going to see a steady movement, one way movement 
packaged products with 10-year track records as the thing to individually constructed portfolios that may use the data that drove those old products, sure. but use them in a totally different yep. way. And I think the industry is going to be you know, making a very difficult switch. It's going to be difficult for a lot of firms over the next decade. The other thing we haven't really talked about, you know, before I got to Charles River, my prior couple of years were at SIGFIG. I, I uh, was kind of leading their enterprise rollouts of their underlying kind of digital advice, robo advice type solution uh, to UBS and, and some other you know, firms. I continue to see a big convergence of these spaces and that the home office organizations, so many of the robo advice and digital advice and consumer side of the platform was siloed off. It was built over there. It was optimized around a direct consumer experience. And the fee-based platform that our financial advisors used is over here. Yeah, yeah. And it's built a different way. It's serving a different set of needs and a different set of customers. And more and more firms, I think, are starting to realize these are one platform. They have to be one yes. platform. Yeah. Customers will start in one and go to the other either direction. There's a whole bunch of things. And so a lot of firms, I think what UBS has done in acquiring Wealthfront and some of the innovation they're doing on their side is indicative of, of some aware of the, the, you know, the larger platforms are going to go as well. I think that's a fascinating space. I think firms that are innovating around the digital experience for their customers and how does that marry up with the full service offering of their financial advisors, a lot of innovation there. Our product is a little more middle office than that. That's more kind of in the FA's desktop. But I think it's a fascinating, you know, space and, and one that, you know, where our product direction is, you know, taking us to. Also fascinating, and I'm sure you, you don't have to comment if you don't care to, but that they hired Noreen Hassan. Hassan. Yeah. It's kind of interesting. The CEO yes, of UBS in the Americas is uh, at one time, what, was she head of uh, Schwab Digital? And she also had a senior role at Morgan Stanley. Very, firm. very strong digital consumer facing and digital wealth background. So, yeah. Plus the wealth front, you know. Exactly. So she's coming into a lot of new assets. It's a great opportunity. I think it's very interesting. Yeah. I think she'll uh, shake up the industry once again. There's just a lot of what's going on here. So this has been fascinating. We're uh, nearing the 25-minute mark, where we, which we try to start to wind things down. So what are three key takeaways you'd like to share with our audience? You covered a lot of ground, so it's going to be hard, but what, what are three key things? You know, it's funny because you'd ask me, you know, hey, Randy, come up and think about that. What are your top three? And as we've gone through our conversation today, we have nailed all three of my big three. And that was not deliberate on my part. You know, we are in a secular shift from investment products to investment process. And I, I think people just have to understand and particularly asset managers. And this is hard. Like, I, I kind of feel like I'm just a truth teller. I'm yeah, just yeah. delivering the news. Don't be mad at the messenger. But most asset managers are not going to do well in this transition of from investment product yep. to investment yep. process. We have to find ways to turn their value add, their value proposition into data and information that they can sell, which is a really difficult concept for, uh, for a lot of asset managers. The second thing is, you know, as we make this shift from product to process, it's all about the data. So investment management products become data and financial advisors become data collectors and maintainers. And understanding that and having that mentality I think is critical. And then the last one is what we were just talking about. You know, this distinction between the consumer facing platform and the financial advisor facing platform, those distinctions have got to be erased and increasingly are being erased. There's one platform that's very consumer oriented, whether that consumer is going direct, they're going through a call center, or they're going through a dedicated high net worth, you know, oriented financial advisor. And all firms are kind of, you know, trying to figure out how to go about doing that. 
Yeah, we'll have to have you back to talk about that. I'd refer to that as convergence, where you see workplace and wealth coming together. Morgan Stanley is a perfect example. E-Trade, workplace, advanced parametric, their already strong wealth management business all coming together. And ultimately, that will be one platform. They've been quite public about that. So, But that's for another day. We'll have to get into it down the road here. So Happy to do it. I mean, one of the things, uh, Randy, is uh, that I'd love to ask is, and this is as we look to close close our session for today, is what's something interesting or unique you do outside of work that people may not know about you or would find interesting or surprising? You know, we will find out. My youngest son just graduated from high school, so my whole life to this date has largely gravitated around getting them out. I like to scuba dive. I would like to do a lot more diving. I think I'll find more time to do that. I also am really looking forward to being able to just travel a lot more with my wife now that uh, now that we're empty nesters. So looking forward to that. That's great. That's great. Enjoy. So thanks, Randy. This has been a great conversation. I had high expectations, as I often do with people like yourself, been around a bit, but you've exceeded them. So thanks for that. And for our audience, if you enjoyed our podcast, please review, subscribe, and share what we're doing here at Wealth Tech on Deck. We're available wherever you get your podcasts. Randy, thanks again. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. It's been great, Jack. Thanks for listening to this episode of Wealth Tech on Deck, our ongoing conversation about improving financial outcomes for all. This podcast is brought to you by Life Yield and produced by Reverb. Subscribe to future episodes in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can connect with our host, Jack Sherry, on LinkedIn and Twitter. And for more information about our perspective on the future of financial advice, visit our website at lifeyield.com.